and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. So today's show is a little bit off the beaten path, but there is a method to my madness here. Today, we're going to be talking about mindfulness, emotional intelligence, and emotional regulation. And the show today is about the emotionally healthy child. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you yourself had an emotional blow up or couldn't contain your own frustration or discomfort with life or anxiety? And I know that many of our listeners are parents and many of my clients are parents. And I love to use the Path 11 podcast as a resource of information that I can just personally turn to and share with other people who need this information. Um, So today's podcast is dedicated to all the moms and dads out there, uh, maybe people who felt like they were in a relationship uh, with a loved one that they say, oh, I feel like I'm dating or I'm married to a child. Um, So I think all of us as adults, even though we're going to be talking about the emotionally healthy child, you're going to be able to relate to this podcast. Um, So I am hoping that this podcast is going to help everyone out there who needs to foster a also a better relationship with their own inner child. Um, So I'd like you guys to think about that as you're listening today. So the guest that I would like to introduce you to is Maureen Healy, and she is the author of The Emotionally Healthy Child. And this has won Nautilus and Reader's Favorite Book Awards in 2014. She's a popular Psychology Today blogger and sought-after public speaker. Maureen runs a global mentoring program for elementary-age children and works with parents and their children in her busy private practice. Her expertise in social and emotional learning has taken her all over the world, including working with Tibetan refugee children at the base of the Himalayas in northern India to classrooms in northern California. So Maureen, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm just going to add one little piece of the puzzle. My first book, Growing Happy Kids, won those awards. And then this book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, actually has the preface from the Dalai Lama. So that's just a little different pieces. Oh, okay. So sorry I missed that. But okay, thanks for correcting that. And uh, we were just talking offline, and you have another book about indigo children, which we were saying after we get through this uh, podcast, we'll probably have you back on to talk about the indigo kids. Yeah, I love those children. I mean, that's what I see in my office is those sensitive, intense children, which this book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, can help as well. But we all know that, you know, sensitive and indigo kids are a a, a unique situation unto themselves. Exactly. I would agree. And, you know, one of the things that I'm hoping um, we can talk about today, what I really loved about your book, uh, in the very beginning, you took a lot, talk a lot about the brain. Um, So I'm hoping that we can uh, dive into that a little bit. And one part of the book that I love that I, you know, I'm working more with adults now in my practice. Mm -hmm. Um, For about the first 10 years, I did work with children, but I find myself a lot of times talking to the adults who come in about what you have said on page 36, the secret to success is discomfort and Mm -hmm. learning how to be able to tolerate discomfort in our lives. Because so many Mm -hmm. of us um, love black and white, but we don't do so well in the gray areas. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, so give us a little bit of background um, about yourself and then let's dive into maybe talking about the emotional brain. Sure. Um, 
I would say that one of the biggest feedback about The Emotionally Healthy Child, the book that I've gotten, is forget children, this is helpful to me, just in case any listeners are like, I don't have kids. It's like, you know, it's so interesting because it's true that if we're not, we don't have our own emotional health, you know, health in order, it's hard to teach that to someone. But my background, I started with counseling CEOs. And ironically, I found out some of them acted like children. So I went back to school to study children and uh, have been working with children specifically on mental emotional health ever since. So I really adore children. And whether I'm working in a clinic or in a school or private practice, it really is uh, fun for me. So that my background is, you know, child development. Excellent. And, you know, like, like I said, in the beginning of the podcast, too, even if you don't have children, I do believe that all of us have our own inner child. And usually, I think as adults, when we begin to get triggered with our own emotional stuff, it's usually I think we can kind of foster that relationship with our inner child a little bit more to say, hey, what is it that you need right now? You know, why are you having a little tantrum at, you know, 42 years old? Like what what's not being met? Um, How can you control yourself? So yeah, so help help us to understand a little bit about this emotional brain and how um, the brain kind of comes into play here with our emotions. Sure. So we're all very familiar with the ideas of left and right brain, probably. The left brain is more logical and linear, you know, the part of the brain that's balancing your checkbook, that's getting you to school on time, um, you know, that type of thing. And then the right side of the brain is more creative, imaginative, timeless. Like if you're an artist, you just want to play. Or if you're a child, you just enjoy being, you know, with your Legos, but you have a hard time maybe getting your left brain online, which says, Hey, we got to get to school by eight 30. So we all start in our right brain, typically, you know, more emotional, more like if you are a baby and you need something, you cry, it's normal and it's healthy. But as we develop, we need to learn how to bring the left brain online and balance it with your right brain. And typically that comes on, you know, the left brain comes more online around four years old. It can be three years old, but as a general statement, it's typically four. So we all know that you can't really logically, reasonably talk to a toddler. They're just having an issue. But when they start to be around three or four, you can have more logic, like let's take a deep breath, let's pause. You know, you explain to them more of how they can use their right and left brain. So the best choices in life, particularly with your emotions, and but certainly could be other areas of your life, is usually when you're thinking and feeling, not just when you're feeling or not just when you're thinking. Right. And, and I know that, um, you've also put in your book too, like the age when the brain actually stops growing or developing is in our mid twenties. Well, it's, it doesn't stop. It just, it's just, it's, it's fully online around 26. So mid twenties, and you finally have the last thing to come online, which is judgment in the prefrontal cortex. So when we see like teenagers and adolescents is, you know, not making good choices, it's like their prefrontal cortex isn't even online fully yet, but where our brains can always change and develop. Cause one question I get a lot is, is it too late? <laughs> you know, am I too late? And it's never <laughs> right. too late. So that's helpful to know as well. All right. So for our listeners, everyone may, may, you know, truly believe that they do have an emotionally healthy child, um, but maybe a child that struggles with something here and there. So how do you actually um, define or tell the difference between what is considered to be an emotionally healthy child and a child that is not? So our listeners know where their child falls within that range. 
Sure. And I, and I guess what I would, I wouldn't think of it as so black and white, like healthy or not healthy. We're all in the process of becoming healthier. It's a lifelong endeavor. It's not really something that you sort of check the box and you're done with. Emotional health is forever. But the child who's becoming healthier is, you know, expressing their emotions, identifying and learning how to, it starts with learning how to identify your emotions and express them constructively. And it's more complicated than that, but that's the beginning point. Um, and an emotionally unhealthy child would be the child who, you know, is suppressing their emotions, whether they're hiding them with, you know, candy or ignoring things with video games or saying, oh, I had a good day and they really had a rotten day, sort of not facing their emotions. And so we want to help them recognize all emotions are good and simply learn how to express them. You know, they're all sending us signals to what's happening inside and it's what we do with them that matters. But emotional health also includes like an emotionally healthy mindset. It includes values. Your inner values are your character. It includes the um, idea. If you think of emotional health, think of it as a skill of balance, right? We've all learned how to balance, whether it's yoga class or we're like walking on the curb, you know, we try to balance, but life throws us off balance, whether we get a flat tire or as a child, we lose, you know, we don't do a good grade on our spelling quiz. So it's really learning how to come back to balance and form that emotionally healthy mindset. Great. And maybe, uh, you know, with those two examples, we can go into um, about that feeling of discomfort and how that really is the start of the success in kind of regulating the emotions and becoming healthier. Sure. I would say the start is really learning how to pay attention. So if we're not catching our emotions, say anger, say we have a child that runs hot or we run hot, we it's really quick for us to get frustrated and yell or frustrated and, you know, have say words that we wish we didn't say. So it's easier to catch the that emotion when it's irritation or annoyance versus epic anger. So learning how to pay attention and see your triggers, but also being, you know, eventually really learning how to be, you know, sort of embrace discomfort as strange and counterintuitive as it is, because oftentimes it's at the other side of discomfort that all the really good things in life are. So, you know, as an adult, let's just put it that way. So, you know, going to the DMV is uncomfortable for me, but I got to go. I need a license. I need these things. So you learn how to do it. But as a child, the discomfort could be, say you have a perfectionist child. He or she hates losing. So, for example, I worked with a child that we played the game Clue, the board game. And I knew I knew she would probably not win. And I knew it was going to be very uncomfortable for her. But in a safe environment, I, I helped her work through her emotions and feelings of discomfort and recognize she's bigger than her emotions and she can just begin again. So children that learn how to be, I mean, they're not going to love discomfort, but they're going to learn that they're okay with it. They can move through it and beyond it is an important part of becoming emotionally healthy because all those challenging emotions, jealousy, feeling left out, they're uncomfortable. So how do you help parents, too, that maybe feel like, um, you know, they may say, well, I'm going to pick and choose my battles, but I feel like I'm losing most battles with my kid and I'm feeling, feeling like they're controlling me as opposed to me controlling them. And that might be attached to, uh, the parents just feeling exhausted, maybe giving in to things that the children are tantruming about or really upset about maybe overcompensating for certain things that are happening in their life. And then all of a sudden they find that their child has just kind of run away and is running the household. I think from my perspective, 
that has a little, oftentimes it has to do with a child's personality. You know what I mean? Some kids have leadership skills early on. Some may call them bossy or they may have um, big emotions and be very reactive. So I think the big piece of the puzzle here is you have to partner with your child. That authoritarian approach doesn't work. You know what I mean? I mean, of course, there are times you have to do things, whether it's changing your underwear or, you know, getting to school on time, but working with them, saying, how can I help you? Really building that connection, because I think it's really important if we connect with our child or we disconnect. Some people who get really angry disconnect and start yelling. So a child's not going to do well with that. So helping him or her is important. And also recognizing a child that many would say is behaving badly, it simply doesn't have the skills yet. So they, they, they need to learn. They're not born with emotional health skills, emotional, you know, how to develop, you have to develop emotional intelligence. It's not innate. Although some kids are better at it than others. This is a skill to build as if you're going to the gym to build a muscle, you have to say, all right, how do I stop? How do I calm? How do I make a better choice? So it's sort of like paving a new pathway in the brain. When they get upset, maybe their just knee-jerk reaction is to yell. So maybe we just want to help move that to something else, a different choice. And what do you think is, is there something contributing overall more in today's society and our culture that is causing people like yourself to have to write these books or wanting to write these books or there's, you know, enough requests where parents are saying, please help somebody give me, you know, a tool because I just can't, I I can't navigate this. Um, It's a very good question. I mean, I was raised in a different generation and the generation I was raised in my, you know, the idea is that if you had a roof over your head and food on the table, you were a good parent. And that's certainly true. But today's generation, you know, parents and teachers and professionals are interested in a child's inner life. So how do you feel? What do you want to, you know, what is it that we can help you with? You know, we, we're more focused on their inner life and their emotions. So the idea is that we have the ideas, we have the tools to help them. And when a child learns those things earlier, they can avoid those unnecessary bumps. So many of us have like become, come into our power or become healthier or happier because we've had sort of trial and error. So if children don't have to go through those bumps, you know, of course there's always bumps in life, but if there are ones that they can avoid, I want to help them do that. Yeah. And I think that that's a good point too, just with the difference in the generation, this isn't quite in your book, but I'm just curious to get your opinion on it. I mean, how do you feel about, um, you know, is some of this stuff contributing to what you're trying to teach parents with allowing kids to understand discomfort or work out their emotions if they do lose a game with, you know, the whole theories of like, leave no child behind. Nowadays, if there's a soccer game, everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets a ribbon, um, you know, everyone's on an equal playing field, everyone, you know, is getting something for what they're doing and not really experiencing maybe some of the stuff that you and I experience when mm-hmm. you did lose at a game or you weren't first place, but you still didn't get a trophy. Do you think any of that in our society and how some of that has changed um, is affecting some of this? I guess what I would say is like, if everyone gets a trophy, I'm okay with that between the ages of like three and five, but upwards of five, like kids need to learn how to fall down and get back up again. That's part of life. We don't want to raise these soft kids. We want them to be soft and strong. We want them to be, you know, sensitive and strong feeling and thinking. We want them to know that you know, the only failure that exists is if we don't learn from something. So, you know, I think there is real value in 
kids being able to have their own direct experience and having disappointment. I think that that's important. In in the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, they talk about how, you know, the goal is really how do we use every experience as fodder for our best life, right? So we want to help them have experiences and we want to sort of move them in in a, a healthy direction. But I think it's important that, you know, they get specific praise, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're, you're, you really, you know, when you studied for that spelling quiz and you put the notes on your index cards, that's powerful. You did a great job. You can use that energy or power to do anything in your life. You know what I mean? Opposed to being very focused on praise, like, oh, you won or you got an A. You don't want kids to be always very outcome oriented. You want them to appreciate that they can, they can apply their energy and they can succeed at tasks. I think that's important. Yeah. And I know that you mentioned in the book, too, that there are three steps to success, uh, to stop, calm, and make a smart choice. So I'd like you to go into a little bit more about how those three steps have the power to change everything when it comes to emotional health. Sure. Um, And of course, they sound simple, but as we all know in practice, it can be more, you know, it's usually a little messier and more challenging. And growth is never a straight line. It's sort of, you know, a cha-cha, three steps forward, two steps back, one step forward. So the idea of the three steps is the first one is how do we stop or how do we catch ourselves? So, and then the second one is how do we calm? And then the third one is how do we make a smarter choice? So a smarter choice is good for you and good for someone else. So a child that got really angry in class and threw his notebook and hit another kid. I mean, it was good for him. He had anger relief, but it was not good for someone else. So you, we want to help children make choices good for them and good for others. And, of course, we want to do the same. But the first step, you know, how do we catch ourselves? The idea is how do we, you know, when we're about to go in a not-so-smart emotional direction, right? So the kid who uh, pushes other kids on the playground, you know, how do you help him or her take a deep breath, catch themselves before that they do their sort of uh, hardwired reaction. How do they, we go from reactions to responsiveness or carelessness to carefulness. So that's really where it begins is learning how to pay attention. And then to calm is very important because, you know, typically no amazing decisions are made when you're really emotionally triggered. So helping children calm and then they can make a smart choice. So those are the three steps, and there's a lot to each step, but it really begins with paying attention. And that's why I did write a chapter on mindfulness, which isn't religious. It's just learning how to pay attention without judgment in a certain way, because when kids develop their own emotional ahas and self-awareness, they can do things differently. And that's the goal is we want to raise kids to feel good and make good choices. And you were going very nicely into the next part of what I wanted to talk about, which is the the buzzword that everyone is using is mindfulness. We're bringing mindfulness now into the classrooms. We're bringing meditation uh, into the classrooms now. So, um, you know, can you talk just a little bit more about that? You give a lot of nice exercises. Um, You know, you have a chapter here in here called the toolbox and just kind of coaching and giving people ideas on how they can actually use these techniques with their child. Um, anywhere or at home. Yeah. I mean, I mean, then in the emotionally healthy child, the book, I do give a lot of strategies and tools because I think that we all just need a starting point. It's not that we have to use every tool by the letter, but we need a place to start. And, and I found that helpful in my life and the people I work with have found that also very helpful. So, um, so the idea of mindfulness or paying attention in a certain way without judgment is really helpful because, you know, children who have big emotions, as we all know, you know, 
if they're angry, we're not going to be able to teach math or English or anything else. So bringing mindfulness or learning how to pay attention and create self-awareness is not only good for, you know, children because that helps them, you know, make better choices with their emotions, but it's also good for every area of their life because we want children to move from that. You know, let's think about it this way. Children, by their nature, tend to move very quickly. So they, you know, whether they're pushing a child on the playground or they, they just move very quick. So helping them slow down and make better choices is what a program of mindfulness or self-awareness or social-emotional learning can do. So it, I, I feel like it's a tremendous benefit to schools because it, it not only helps with emotional health or emotional intelligence, as we all know, is a, a success factor in life. But it can help them with their academics, learn how to focus, learn how to pay attention. It's it's a it's a very I think it's a great benefit to uh, schools that bring it in, and science has proven it is as well. Yeah. Now maybe we should um, move in a little bit more now into the Indigo Kids, and you know because we're we're talking about children, but how do we identify what an Indigo child is, what that looks like, and how to approach them? That's a really great question. I have a checklist in my book, The Energetic Keys to Indigo Kids. Um, but w w the, two of the main pieces of the puzzle with indigo children is, is they are highly sensitive, so they're emotionally sensitive. But they also not only have that emotional sensitivity, they have um, what I would call like an energy stubbornness or energy of defiance. They're that child that says, I will not go to school today. I will not put those socks on. <laughs> you know what? You can punish me, but I don't care. I'm going to go to my room. Like they have, they're sort of born leaders. And one of the reasons why I wrote the book about indigo children is because if you work with them in a certain way, you have more success. But if you have the old traditional sort of parenting model, you do not have success. And these, are the, and these are the kids that I often found in my office that nobody understood them. So that was really my goal is helping parents and teachers get a better understanding of their mindset and how to help them really navigate this sometimes not so sensitive world. And what are some of those strategies? For helping them? I mean, it certainly depends on what's going on with them. But, you know, a lot of it is really understanding their mindset. For example, they are very... they. They're the child that thinks like, this is unfair, right? You know, they prize honesty. So helping them recognize that's good. You want to prize honesty and they also prize perfection. So that's good too. But for example, with perfection, if you always put yourself up and you want to be perfect, you're going to be unhappy. So learning that, yes, you come from a place that's perfect, but here on planet Earth, things are not perfect. You know what I mean? You have to do your best and let go of the rest. And that's a lesson for them to learn because the child that is only happy if they're perfect just sets them up to be unhappy. So, you know, there's lots of different things to help them. But, you know, the tools in my book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, can help them as well because indigo children are very not only emotional, they're very, they tend to be very reactive. So they have a big feeling and then they can let it out. They can give you a kiss on the cheek or they can slam the door in your face. So we obviously want to help them make choices that feel better for them and for others. And I've also heard that indigo children tend to have um, a very intuitive ability because of kind of their emotional, how much they take in uh, within their emotions. They tend to be very intuitive, maybe even psychic. Have you found that to be true as well? 
Yeah, they certainly have a high intuitive intelligence and what many would say is good instincts. And from my perspective, the it's not a problem, but but you need to balance it with intellect. So it goes back to that right side and left side of their brain. So if you develop a child or they grow up and they're only in the in, intuitive side and they don't have good logic and reasoning skills, they sort of are challenged in the world. So something unique to indigos is yes, they have good instincts. Yes, if they follow their instincts or do well, but yes, they also have to balance it with reason, you know, logic and feeling, feeling and thinking. So that's sort of unique to sensitive people in general, but it's very true for indigos. Because, you know, I worked with a lot of indigos who just stayed in one part of their brain their whole life, but, you know, they couldn't balance their checkbook. But that's not helpful either because we want to raise kids to be self-reliant and give their gifts to the world with gusto and and do certainly their best and be as prosperous as possible. And what are your thoughts about um, medication versus mindfulness? Because I think that there's a lot of children out there who might be struggle, struggling with with their emotional self. And I, it looks like that you're really trying to give people maybe a different uh, approach, a holistic approach. Um, but I also have seen when I have worked with children that people are very quick to medicate them because they really don't feel like that they know how to help them or control them or their impulsivity is so high, uh, their, their anger and their temper tantrums are now beginning to hurt people and they're trashing the house and things of that sort. I worked with very high acute um, kids that were in a psychiatric hospital. So, I mean, that's what a psychiatric hospital does, right? They try to stabilize with meds. And, um, you know, years back, they're really, we weren't really teaching mindfulness or meditation to these children in these acute settings. What do you, you have any thoughts about that? Sure. I think we should, you know, work on coaching children versus controlling them for sure. But um, my background, I mean, I work with, like you said, I I work with very seriously, uh, serious situations with children, you know, children who wanted to commit suicide and clinical depression and bipolar. So So kids like that, I think medication can certainly help because they need to first correct the imbalances in their brain. But but. There's a whole host of children, I would say probably the majority, that are really helped by natural methods. And if we can help give them the ideas and tools, they can move in the right direction, especially with a mentor. I, I do. I have a mentoring program for sensitive children. So I'm a big believer that ideas and tools and having someone in your life that's similar, cut from a similar cloth, but farther along on the path is very helpful. But I do think that there are other children who, you know, it's very serious and they need to have some medication. So I'm not anti-medication. I just think we overdo it in this country and it needs to be used very sparingly, especially since we don't know oftentimes the long-term effects. Right. And when you're working with the kids and the families, do you take um, nutrition into account or the amount of hours that they're spending on technology, iPads, uh, video games? Yeah, I, I look at it all. I mean, in my first book, Growing Happy Kids, I have a model about how, you know, the five building blocks of confidence, but it always starts with biology and then your mental, then emotional, then social and spiritual or slash creative. But, you know, it always starts with biology. So what is impacting them, whether it's sleep or eating or exercise or, you know, what are their habits? So that's really, from my perspective, step one. Okay. And do you see, um, like, any new trend or where the trend is going, if there's a new type of child after the indigo that is coming in with a different set of, um, I don't know, challenges or just uh, different ways where they need to be approached? 
I guess from my perspective, working with children, I am extremely optimistic about the planet because I see children really being born and very connected to their truth and not being willing to sort of go along with if everyone says you have to go to college and they don't want to go, they won't go. You know what I mean? So I feel like children can contribute to the planet much earlier than before. And I think that they are supported in doing so, whether it's through the internet or through volunteer or humanitarian or business stuff. I mean, I think it's amazing what young children can do. And I I think a lot of the problems we have on the planet sort of will die off with a lot of the older people. So, I mean, this is just my perspective. So, you know, that's what I see is children just really connected to who they are and not having to sort of go down one career path that's not the right path. They sort of get started earlier from my perspective. Great. And I know that you have some courses, you have speaking events. Um, If people would like to work with you or um, find out more information about the other books that you have written, can you just give them your information about where they can find you and some of the upcoming events that you have going on for 2019? Sure. Um, You can find more information at Growing Happy Kids. Again, Growing Happy Kids. And that Uh, On that website, I have, you know, if you sign up for the newsletter, you get a sample chapter of my last book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, and all sorts of videos and information are located there. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. I know that this is going to help many people. And again, everyone, the book is The Emotionally Healthy Child, Helping Children Calm, Center, and Make Smarter Choices. Maureen, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four-day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out-of-body experiences and life-changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people Uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. (music) 